Welcome to the Check Your Head Podcast, the podcast where notable musicians come and share their personal stories and their solutions for mental health and wellness. I'm your host, Mari Fong, a music journalist and life coach for musicians. And today I'm thrilled to have on the podcast an Emmy-nominated Billboard charting musician, singer-songwriter, and producer who heads up the band Gangstagrass, who first gained nationwide attention with their song, Long Hard Times to Come, the Emmy-nominated theme song for the FX series Justified. Gangstagrass has a new album called No Time for Enemies, which hit number one on Billboard's Bluegrass chart in September of 2020. Today's featured guest is Master Musician Wrench, who famously blends bluegrass with hip-hop music and provides the perfect example of combining two unique flavors to create one delicious musical dish. We'll also be talking with music agent Daniel McCartney, who heads up a new nonprofit called the Continuance Foundation, whose mission is to provide full-time musicians the funds and tools to prioritize their mental health. But first, let me give you a taste of Gangstagrass's single, Ride With You, and then we'll talk with Wrench on thriving through the pandemic, racial unity, and living with a condition called Rejection Sensitivity Dysphoria, or RSD, which is often a part of Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, or ADHD. Wrench is also going to do a special performance just for the Check Your Head podcast listeners, so be sure to stay tuned to the very end. So let's start off with a little slice of the Gangsta Grass single, Ride With You. Let's ride. The creatures might be coming to get you, but I'm here to slay monsters like Geralt the Witcher. And I'm here with you, that's all she wrote. Tight like a fat couple caught up in coach for my bros and my blokes. Mamacitas y amigas, yes, all of my folks. If the whole world starts to go up in smoke, we're riding together and we're going for broke. But I'm trying to make sure that don't happen. Climb on this boat with me, ride with your captain. Maintain yourself in an orderly fashion. Calm and collected, but I still need your passion. This is a call to action, packed with exact facts. Building more bridges than you will with a hashtag. Big dog barking, send the fat cats running. Revolution coming now, ain't that something? Well, you know, the song Freedom, I saw the music video a few times because I thought it was so inspiring, but it goes through the journey of African-Americans coming into freedom, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, going through slavery, times of Rodney King and Martin Luther King, and um, the chorus is, I I ain't going to wait no more to get this freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then at the end, it gives respect to the current day with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others who have lost their lives to uh, police brutality or killings that were tied to racism. And so uh, I feel like the album really speaks to what is going on today. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I think it is really incumbent upon us in the position that we're in as a bluegrass hip-hop band of uh, black and white musicians who tour the country together to share, uh, you know, to share what we can talk about, about believing in freedom and justice and the importance of those things. Um, And so we do that in some songs. Um, You're going to hear a lot of other stuff on the albums too. We do fun party songs and we do um, a lot of songs about uh, about getting together and uh, and enjoying 
each other in all our diversity. Um, so that there's there's a lot of messages there from us about how to party together across our divisions, which is what uh, you know we're sort of doing by example by being hip hop MCs and bluegrass players that make music together. Fortunately, Gangsta Grass as a multiracial band that's all about sort of reaching over our divisions has been talking about this stuff for a while in various ways. And Freedom was not one of the ones that we were thinking, oh, this is the single that we're, we're going to put out. We thought it was going to kind of be a, a Trojan horse that we, we slip in there and we get the, we get the people interested in Gangster Grass with the party tracks and then we give them this political thing, you know, once they're into us. And we had talked when we recorded it about um, how interested we were when we would go on tour to play this song for our fans in Kentucky and Tennessee and Texas and places where we get to have a little bit of a more mixed crowd politically. And the song is a black liberation song that the two MCs conceptualized uh, with the first verse being a, a slave revolt and the second verse being the 60s civil rights movement and the third verse sort of being about now and into the future. Um, so it was this great sort of overview of the, the feelings of, of rebellion and, and liberation um, that we put down. And, and when the, the uprisings were happening around the, the killing of George Floyd, we decided, okay, we just got to put this song out now. And it was shortly before Juneteenth. So we said, let's release it on Juneteenth. And, uh, and just uh, put it out since this is really a moment where it's going to be most appreciated. You know, you're about to put out this new music and then all of a sudden the coronavirus pandemic hit and you've had to do work and probably even create music um, at separate locations with your bandmates. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the challenges is how does a career musician like yourself, you know, sur survive during um, these kind of restrictive times i mean yeah. how have you done it i've been distracted a lot by having a couple kids that are now home from school all the time um, and that has really been uh one of the tougher things to try to balance um in terms of trying to actually keep the music work going but also now having uh, a, a fairly big amount of childcare to do the juggling act was pretty extreme I would say, though, that as in terms of being a musician where you're kind of uh, self-employed and self-directed and it's, there's no, there, there's no uh, limit to the workload in terms of the things that you could be doing to make more music and pr promote more music, that having, having the pandemic going on and being quarantined and having extra childcare and new challenges to, to figure out technologically it was a lot of the same challenges, just more extreme. But it was like a more extreme version of the things that were definitely challenging already. Well, I would think there's a big learning curve, too. Mm -hmm. Because, first of all, it's, it was completely unexpected. And all of a sudden, you're thrown into the role of an educator. And mm -hmm. at the same time, you have to figure out, okay, how am I going to create music when everybody is in different locations? I mean, yeah. where do you, where does your music fit during all of this? It's really tough. It's uh, it's a time management thing. It's a just like a juggling juggling task thing. And and when you do have that 
that 30 minutes or that hour that's like your turn to go and work, like just maximizing that. I feel like I became just such a, such a ninja at like having an hour and doing, you know, 20 things in that hour and like, boom, get it done. But part of it is also an emotional juggling act of having, still having ambitions with things, but tempering that with being forgiving of yourself that you are doing this through a pandemic crisis and juggling all of these things much more than you have before. And so if you don't do it as, you know, quite to the, to the extent or to the perfection that you normally would, I definitely found myself having to, to let some things go on and say, hey, you know, this is good. It's not, if it, in other times I might've spent a few more hours to polish it up, but this is, this works. And I'm going to let that be what it is because uh, I would remind myself that everybody knows we're in a pandemic and we're all doing this from home now. And so the, the, like the standard and the threshold of, you know, people seeing homemade videos now is not, is, is not as unusual and it comes with a lot more understanding than it normally would. So letting your, letting, you know, some standards be more flexible and forgiving yourself about the work that you're doing, forgiving yourself about, you know, the, the childcare as well. Uh, you don't need to set standards of how perfectly you would take over and become a teacher for your children. You need to keep them safe and you need to entertain them. If they're not learning as much as they would have in school, that's, that's fine. You're doing fine. And there were definitely moments of having to, to recalibrate those expectations. Yeah. So basically giving yourself a break and being understanding of yourself and probably also the people around you because they're all, you know, going under uh, stress themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing um, you mentioned, we talk about mental health here, of course, Mm -hmm. and uh, you mentioned that you have symptoms of ADHD. And uh, what kind of symptoms do you have that that kind of made you uh, realize that you have this, you know, condition? Yeah, it's only been fairly recently of uh, taking a look at that because I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have thought that based on my previous understanding of it. But I did, I got a couple tips. Um, uh, I did see a therapist and and that started coming up as a something suspected. And so the more I, the more I read articles, and looked at some videos um, about ADHD and sort of got past the assumption about being somebody that that can't focus and just goes from thing to thing. Um, I saw a lot more interesting stuff about um, for some ADHD people the relationship to time and the sense that there's what's happening now and then every anything that's not happening now is just something that you're not thinking about right now or um, the the fact that people with ADHD also can hyperfocus, depending on something that's engaging you and that it's a lot about how your, your brain is engaging. And if there is something that's really stimulating you, you can totally focus on it to the, you know, to the, to the expense of focusing on anything else. Um, and another thing that, that came up was uh, a fairly new diagnosis of RSD, which is re- rejection sensitive dysphoria. I'd seen uh, I'd seen a couple things about that and actually brought it up with my therapist and it was kind of new to the therapist as well and then actually 
while looking at things about ADHD, once that was suspected, um, came across the fact that the two go together a lot. That a lot of times ADHD um, can can cause rejection sensitive dysphoria, and that's the that's something that a lot of ADHD people sort of have secondarily as a symptom of it. Uh, so RSD is is a kind of a mood disorder um, in which you are um, you have a lot of insecurities about disappointing people or being judged by people, um, whether it's real or perceived. Um, but any interactions that, that give you the perception that you're not measuring up to, to certain standards right now sort of cause a downward spiral of, um, of feeling inadequate or feeling like you uh, failed, to, failed to live up to expectations. Okay. Well, I would think that, you know, kind of ties in with social anxiety, right? Because if you're all, always feeling like you're being judged uh, by other people, whether that's true or not, mm-hmm. that would really um, make you be self-critical and also just maybe not want to socialize as much. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely like a, a particular uh you know, a, a specific manifestation of social anxiety. It's like one sub subset of social anxiety is this one, which is not, uh, it's not really about strangers. It's more about, you know, colleagues and people that you care about in, in, in working with somebody that, that you want everything to go um, really smoothly, uh, you know, on the expectation that somehow you could do it without any fault. And oh. so, so it gives you kind of like a, you know, an, a, a conflict aversion where, you know, any conflicts in the process of working with somebody can sort of triggering, trigger these, these feelings of, of shame and insecurity. It sounds like you're almost expecting perfection. Mm-hmm. And then when a roadblock comes up, it even kind of distracts you and, and gets you uh, even more anxious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So. How do you cope with that, and how do you? What kind of skills have you been learning to kind of overcome that? Well, it's still it's still new for me, so I'm just sort of starting on a on a journey of uh, mm-hmm. learning. Um, you know, either either physical ways to reduce stress in terms of breathing exercises, or like muscle uh, exercises, or ways to um, try to maintain some perspective. As well as, I think the a, a key thing is just starting to be able to label it and recognize it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for most of my life, I would just go into a downward spiral and feel like that was reality. Like I was just, you know, recognizing how bad things were. But being able to say like, "Oh, this is this is my this is a, a, a distorted perception that I have right now because I'm in this mood swing," mm-hmm. and so it's going to be temporary. And and trying to. Um, you know, put it, put a label on it and recognize that it's just something that you're, that's being triggered and you're going through, um, I think is like an initial step in being able to, to work around it. You know, I've had other, I've talked with other musicians and, um, you know, when they've gone to therapy and their therapist gives a name to what you're going through, it was almost a sense of relief for them because it's like, oh gosh, you know, I'm not the only one. This is, there's, actually other people that are going through this and it's a, you know, maybe a condition that could be helped. I mean, did you feel that way or did you feel more like, gosh, I don't want to believe that that's what I have, which is also another 
you know, response when you find out there's some kind of uh, disorder behind, you know, your behavior? I think it's been a positive thing for me, uh, feeling like uh, that there's some there's some reason or mechanism behind it um, so that I can identify it and say that's something that I'm dealing with. Because if you don't have something to identify that something is at work there, then you just identify it as yourself. Like, oh, that's me being... I, you know, rather than just thinking, oh, this is a problem with me that I can't handle things, um, being able to say, oh, here's a neurological thing at work under the surface. And it kind of helps separate it from just feeling like it's what you are rather than something that you are dealing with. First of all, I applaud you for going to therapy mm-hmm. because um, it's not something that we often talk about, especially well, it's it's something that we often don't talk about in usual conversation, but a lot of people are in therapy. What was the what was the thing or the the event or the incident that prompted you to say, you know what, I want to go see a therapist? There was a um, there was a few different times that I decided uh, it was something that I needed to try, and it just came from all all the anxiety and and stress going on and. Uh, mostly with with work and trying to be a, a musician in the career, just sometimes ending up feeling like it was it was so stressful or feeling so depressed about it that 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 was you know one of the things that I felt like was at least worth a shot if it can um, help work through some things. Mm-hmm. And how has that helped you? I mean, especially through the feelings of depression, because I know with a music career there can be so many highs and lows, mm-hmm. and you know. Depression is also something that can come with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the 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 RSD that can come with ADHD is is kind of a, a form of depression you have, and it's I think from what I'm reading, it's one of the reasons that uh, sometimes traditionally there were people that were originally misdiagnosed as bipolar instead of ADHD because of something like RSD causing them to have such uh, mood swings. And, and the depression that came along with it. I think it's, I think it's helpful to, to be doing something rather than just like kind of trying to, uh, you know, do things on your own. You, you know, you can't necessarily just fix yourself or get through everything by yourself or just let things stay the same and keep dealing with them. If you're, if you're feeling depressed or anxious, mm-hmm. uh, then... I think it, it helps even just to have something to, to look at and say, well, I'm trying X, Y, Z. And that that may be helping to get better, but at least I'm not just like sitting there going through it again and again. And something like ADHD, is a, it's neurological, so it's not something that goes away. Um, it's not something that you're going to like fix and not experience anymore. But it is something that you can develop coping mechanisms for um, or you can choose to try medication that, that can help cope with it. But it's always going to be something that you're dealing with. So I don't want to say like, oh, you know, therapy or something, you, you know, you go and then it's, it gets better and it's gone. But it's something that at least can, can be part of the process of being less of a captive to the situation of like, oh, I just get depressed. Um, and being a little bit more in control of sometimes I get depressed, but I'm, you know, going to therapy or you know, learning to meditate or, you know, various um, things that you can put in place to, to say that 
I'm taking action to, to try to control this a little bit. Yeah, you know, one thing that you said was interesting was that um, sometimes people with symptoms of ADHD can be uh, diagnosed mistakenly as bipolar. Mm -hmm. And you tell me if this is correct. The reason why is because um, with ADHD, you get when you react to something, whereas some people can react, you know, having their emotions go from zero to 10. um, With ADHD, it could go from zero to 100. It could just be um, amplified. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that can include, you know, highs and lows and getting angry or getting really excited about something. And I mean, is that something that, that you can kind of relate to? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And from, from what I understand, um, you know, the difference that they've been ident- able to identify that, that sort of distinguished the RSD and the depression with ADHD is uh, a couple of things. One is being able to identify triggers and the other is the duration. Um, so, and, and I'm sorry to everybody out there with, with bipolar because actually it, it sounds really not fun. Um, and I don't want to be like, at least it's not bipolar because that's worse. Um, but uh, it, it, what I, what I am aware of is that when you're, when you're bipolar, the mood swings don't necessarily have a trigger. They just come on and, mm-hmm. and last for a long time. Um, you know, they could last days or weeks. Um, and my experience with, with the, the RSD that, that comes with ADHD is you can kind of point to uh, one or two or three things that happened and say that was the start of my downward spiral right there and that lasted for a day. Um, so that that's what I what I've seen that sort of distinguishes the two. So in therapy, I would think that you start to get really mindful about what your triggers are and then, um, you know, avoiding those or if they happen, maybe what stop yourself and and uh, maybe just recognize it for what it is mm-hmm. or. What are some Absolutely. of the skills? I think, I think recognizing it is, is the key thing that you said there um, that helps being able to say, this is something that could send me into a downward spiral because I'm going to personalize it and make it about me rather than about something that happened that can be fixed. Um, and just knowing that, that, you, that you're likely to react that way to something and something that I'm probably going to you know, be working on that I'm certainly not great at yet is when you recognize it, being able to, to, to not keep falling into it, but to say, I'm, I'm going to go take a walk or I'm going to step away from this um, and take a breather, but then, but then work through it. Cause another side of this is that avoidance is not a good solution, but a lot of, um, a lot of times when you have this kind of anxiety or depression, a coping, a coping mechanism that you develop on your own is just avoiding those situations. Trying to be perfect with people or just trying to avoid conflict by not arguing or not taking, you know, not taking on things that you could fail at or all kinds of things where you, you make sure to avoid the possibility of coming into conflict with people. But that's, that's really limiting. That's going to be something that, that negatively impacts you and doesn't help and doesn't really ultimately help you deal with things better because there's always going to be times when you come into conflict with people and arguments are, are normal. Um, so rather than avoiding them by just trying to be a people pleaser, 
and and be above reproach, like being able to know that that's something that's going to happen and build up you know your your coping mechanisms or your recognition to to take a break when it feels like it's going to trigger something but then come back to it later when you're when you're feeling better or thinking through it a little bit outside of the conversation itself ways that you can still be a part of things and be involved in things uh, and and work work at not avoiding them yeah and i would think these new techniques and skills uh, take a lot of practice and a lot of bravery too, because you're you're going against what you probably have been doing all your life, uh, which might be a been avoiding, but now having to learn to kind of face these things, or at least kind of take them in bite-sized chunks, uh, and, and practicing to get better at something that you might not feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So with social anxiety, it's a lot of is it changing your mindset on what you expect from yourself or just being less difficult or hard on yourself? I think so. I think so. But I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on this. I'm just somebody who's like learning about it myself. And uh, hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll be coping better and, and getting more practice and things like this. But um, I, I, you know, anybody out there that's dealing with this stuff, I'm, I'm right there with you and saying, well, let's, let's try some things and try to see what works. And, uh, I think once you're, once you're on the path of trying things, it's probably not going to be getting worse. Hopefully it'll be getting better, but there's no like, oh yeah, I, at least for me yet, there's no like, oh, I figured this out and now I'm, now I'm better at it. Like I'm, I'm going to be trying for a long time. Yeah. I, you know, one of the, um, taglines I have for the podcast is just to be persistent in finding the help that you need. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's, it's a lot of trial and error and like finding out what works for you, you know, and I've seen it with a lot of different people. There's a lot of different um, ways to improve your life and get better. Um, Have you beyond the therapy, have you tried any medication for a ADHD or, or for depression? Has that been part of your whole not yet. And this is, I'm, I'm still pretty early on in the process of having sort of just like recently come to, to like really say that's what's going on and talk about what that means. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm early on in the steps here and just, just starting that journey. Well, thank you so much for talking about it. It takes a lot of bravery and um, just being very open and open-minded. And I think that's it, is that once you're open-minded to solutions, um, you're able to, you know, take that first step, which is, you know, making a phone call or, you know, just maybe changing a different way of thinking. Um, Some of the things that you mentioned as far as, you know, your steps to, to getting better and, you know, feeling happier about things. Well, I can't wait till um, I can see you live because I, I, I know I'm going to enjoy uh, your live performance as well. But today you're going to be doing a, um, a track uh, from some of your solo music. And uh, mm-hmm. tell us about what you're going to be performing today. Well, I'm just, I just grabbed this, uh, this acoustic guitar and uh, something that I can play on it. Uh, a track from the solo album I put out a couple of years ago. Um, and this song is called Lone Dogs. 
I'll kind of let it speak for itself, but it's a, it's a nice, simple one. And uh, I'll play it for you now. Next up, we have musician and music agent with United Talent Agency, Daniel McCartney, founder of the nonprofit The Continuance Foundation. Daniel starts the interview by sharing his personal reasons behind his mission to help other musicians live better lives by making mental wellness a priority. I'm an agent at United Talent Agency. I started this nonprofit this year, um, but the reason why I got into it is because I played in a band for six years, played guitar in a band toured full-time, you know, we, we toured seven, eight months a year, wrote a record about an average of about once a year. Um, and the band's so, name? <clears throat> Gideon. Okay. Heavy, heavy rock band, heavy metal band. Um, they're still a band. I, I left the band in 2015 to be an agent, right? I love the business of performing arts. I love, I was always kind of the business guy in the band, which you see a lot of people in the music industry were. But the reason why I say that is, is because, 
you know, for me, this, this nonprofit endeavor was a personal endeavor. You know, it definitely was something that, you know, I always say, if you, if you're really passionate about mental health in some capacity, you've probably been affected by it. You know, for me, this was personal and to still deal with mental health difficulties. And, you know, especially like you just said, when I was in a band, you know, I don't, you would get home from tour you know, especially I used to live, I live in LA now, but I used to live in Alabama, a very quiet town. And you go from touring in Japan, touring in Australia, New Zealand, touring in Europe to you get home and it's like, oh, what do I do now? You know, I got three months off. Um, no one thinks I'm really that cool anymore. And I'm just <laughs> kind of sitting here, you know, uh, it's, it's tough. It, it, there, I was just called it post-tour depression, which I, I'm a fir- a firm believer that it exists. So in your experience, what did you do for that, that post-tour depression? I mean, how did you kind of survive that and kind of make your way uh, through those months where you, maybe you felt a little lost? Well, I'll be honest with you. My mental health recovery is what I would call it. To be honest, didn't start until I was, I'm 28 probably three or four years ago is when I really started acknowledging that I had some things I needed to deal with. I got a therapist, you know, started taking better care of myself. I honestly, a lot of those times there, I didn't remedy it. I was lost. You know, now my suggestion would be, I'm a big advocate of trying to keep the same practices and routine on the road that you have at home. Mm -hmm. So that when you come back home, there's not this sense of, normalcy that's lost you still have that foundation maybe even if it's just like an hour in the morning of a morning routine of meditation coffee reading or something you know trying to set like you know certain things so that when you get home you're not so dependent on the high of being on stage because that's where it becomes a problem is when you're dependent on that high and you're also you know mixing in substance abuse and that type of thing then the lows are scary you know Mm -hmm. so you have to you have to try your best to kind of keep even keel so that when you do come home, I mean, sure, you're going to miss your friends. You're going to miss being on the road and the fans and stuff. But um, there is a way to maintenance that to where it doesn't kind of spiral into um, a full-blown, you know, depression and, and just kind of almost like grieving, you know, mm-hmm. what your brain is now missing out on. Right. I mean, it's a drastic change, the lifestyle on tour versus, you know, the lifestyle at home. You know, you said that you started therapy and you started really um, looking into self-care, which I think is really wonderful. Uh, what was going on in your life at the time that made you really say, hey, I need to do something now? My light bulb moment, what I would call it, would just kind of be like when I really started to become an adult. I think, you know, 26, 27 years old came around and I started to realize I'm, you know, I'm really anxious a lot and anxiety is something that in and of itself is a total beast. In a sense, it was a combination of me just kind of becoming an adult, but also the the anxiety becoming to a place where it it needed attention, you know, and it could no longer just dwell. So, you know, I got a therapist, I got started, um, you know, yoga and mindfulness meditation and all these practices that are really basic practices that are hugely helpful. But I think the problem with those practices is, is they take time. You know, you can't do one yoga session and then think that you're going to feel Zen all the time. You know, it took me, 
I do a, so in the morning I do, um, I do a meditation for 20 minutes and I journal for about 20 or 30 minutes. I have this journal that I write in and, uh, that morning practice in and of itself, I did it for like nine or 10 months before I feel like I like really felt like, man, I can feel the effects of this. Like I start my day focused. I start my day calm. I return to my journal. If I, you know, if I feel an anxiousness, you, you, it's a, it's about hard work and training your brain and training yourself to take care of yourself mentally the same way you do physically. You know, mm-hmm. it, it took time for me to, to start to realize I needed to get myself on track. And once I did, and I got into a good place, you know, that's, I was, I was like, I want to help other people in this, in this area too. Yeah. I think, I think once you overcome something that's really been a challenge, you know, the, uh, you, you have compassion for the pain of it or the, um, you know, being afraid or whatever it is that you feel when you're in it. Uh, cause I know anxiety can be uh, really frightening. So the continuance foundation, um, can you tell us all what you're offering with that? Absolutely. So there's, there's, two kind of sides to the foundation. One is the side for full-time studio and touring musicians, right? So if you come to the foundation, we have a, there's an online at the continuancefoundation.com. There's a contact form and we, we're always in touch within 24 hours for anyone that applies. Um, It's meant for the people that are just pouring into their craft. It's designed for that. Right. So I partnered with a firm called Face It here in LA. We also have an ecosystem of therapists um, throughout the throughout the country. And we have this process that's basically like, you know, it's just it helps us make sure we're focusing on the full time musician community. But in a lot of cases, you can come to us and you can say, you know, I don't have health insurance. A lot of musicians don't have health insurance. They just, right. you know, and if they do, some a lot of it won't actually cover mental health. Mm-hmm. So my thing was I wanted to design a program where someone could come to me and say, I'm in a really bad spot. I, I don't have money. I don't have, you know, some sick healthcare. Like I just really need help. And in the matter of a day, I can have that individual in therapy paid for by the foundation, you know, um, assigned someone from the foundation that's reaching out that's checking in with them, letting them know we have, you know, these yoga practices, um, once a week, we have mindfulness meditation and, uh, creating a community around them. So that's like, that's the core program is the actual therapy and the coaching. Of course, you know, that or counseling and coaching are two different things. So we can offer both. Some people want the coaching. Some people want the counseling. It's a case by case basis. The other side of it is just the community side, right? So, I've created this program that, you know, if you're in the foundation on this side, you are assigned um, someone called a TCF social manager who, you know, if you go on tour, you print out your itinerary, you give it to your TCF social manager, they'll look at it and say, all right, so you have nine days off in the next six weeks. Let's give you four or five days off the rest. The rest of them, we're going to create self-care days for you on tour to get you out of that that constant rotation to pull you away from everyone else to, you know, get you to a baseball game or get you to a massage or get you to a yoga class or a gym or just a great shower. I mean, whatever, you know, 
also it's just the community and the awareness, you know, I mean, that part is in and of itself extremely important. And I think for people to know that the foundation exists so that when we do have those times where our, our musicians who are you know, pouring so much into what they do are having, you know, a tough moment, we can quickly, you know, we can quickly get them help. Yeah. So the, the social part of it, so that's a lot of different activities that are, like you said, on tour while they're on tour, but also online where they can connect with other musicians and um, maybe have meetups, things like that. And then the counseling therapy side, do you cover the cost? You said up to six months of therapy. Is that correct? Well, it's, so, so basically it's not up to it's We use the six month marker as first off getting in a, uh, you know, a commitment from the artist so that we're keeping them accountable because as you know, going to therapy, you can't go three times in your life be changed. It's a commitment, right? So for us, we say, Hey, we're going to cover your costs, but in order for us to do that, we need to know you're going to give this a real shot for six months. And then at the five month mark, we, we, you know, we evaluate with them. We can continue if they love it. If they feel like, Hey, I love therapy. Um, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm back on track. I want to, you know, I want to shift to a coach, which some of them do, you know, they want to shift over to more goal oriented, to more, you know, wellness oriented, that type of thing. So the six month thing, it's not up to, it's just more, it's more our way of being like, Hey, this is kind of an amount of time we feel like, you know, you could really benefit from having a therapist. So if we're, you know, if we're going to cover those costs for you, that's, you know, we require that commitment and go from there. If anything, during the pandemic, the teletherapy world has made some pretty huge strides, you know, so hopefully that continues. Well, you know, that's one thing with this pandemic, uh, a positive, I, I actually think, is that people have been forced to use platforms like Zoom to connect. I mean, right now, that's the safe, logical way to connect, uh, not only locally, but, you know, across state lines, even across countries. What are some things that you think musicians can do during the pandemic um, to better their mental health? and also to connect with their fans. Absolutely. So I think we all have a little bit more time right now. If anything, we're all commuting a little bit less. I mean, out out here in LA, I mean, I've gained an hour and a half of my life every day back just from removing the commute. I'm a huge advocate of um, meditation, huge, huge advocate the Calm app is amazing. That's one app that I specifically use. I love yoga. I see my therapist once a week virtually. And I make time for myself for um, things that fulfill me, right? So as silly as it is, golf is amazing to me. I love it, right? So on my to-do list on Monday, I'm like reminding myself, I need to book golf for this week because no matter what, if I go play golf, that's three or four hours that I'm undeniably happy. No matter what you can, it's really tough to kill my mood while I'm on a golf course. (laughs) So that's another thing is we all have a little bit more time to like explore new hobbies, learn new things. Um, I've been reading a lot that keeps my, that keeps my head really sharp. So there's a lot of ways to pour in yourself and it's a good time to do it. Connecting with fans, it's great. I mean, especially for a lot of artists, that in and of itself is therapy. So I think, 
you know, whether you're doing Q and A's, you're doing podcasts, you're doing Instagram lives, virtual shows, whatever it may be. I think it's still important for the artists to, to still be connecting with their fans because it, I mean, when I was in a band, if your heart's in the right place, your fans mean everything to you, you know, there's a lot of ways to still be connected. Yeah. You know, and, and in some ways, I mean, I've seen artists do, um, Instagram lives or live streaming, you know, they have a chat on the side where they can answer fans questions. If they want to suggest a song that they play, these are all things that go beyond uh, the live music experience. It's different, of course, but in some ways it could be even more personal. Absolutely. I think, I think the other side of this pandemic is going to be, even more communicative than it was before because I think now we're realizing there's really no excuse just because you can't go see someone for a coffee doesn't mean you can't FaceTime with them for 20 minutes, you know? So is there anything else, Daniel, that you would like to say about the, the continuance foundation or about mental health in general? Make sure you know, your musician friends check in on them and also everyone just, you know, take care of yourselves. It's a, a, it's a tough time, but it's a great time to pour into yourself. A big thank you to our featured guests, the amazing Wrench of Gangsta Grass, and the great Daniel McCartney of the Continuance Foundation. For more information on Gangsta Grass, find them on social media at Gangsta Grass, and to purchase their new album, No Time for Enemies, go to gangstagrass.com. And for more information on the Continuance Foundation, visit thecontinuancefoundation.com. If you enjoyed today's Check Your Head episode, share it with your friends and be our friends on social media at Check Your Head Podcast. Leave us a review or support us with a donation at CheckYourHeadPodcast.com, where you'll also find free and affordable mental health solutions for you and your loved ones. So until next time, be brave, ask for help, and be persistent in finding the mental help that you need. The Check Your Head Podcast is kindly supported by DBSA San Gabriel Valley, Lemon Tree Studios, and Blue Oak Mastering and Podcasting in Los Angeles. Visit our website at checkyourheadpodcast.com where you'll find free and affordable resources for mental health and where you can also support us by donating or subscribing to our Patreon page. Thank you so much for liking and following us on Facebook and Instagram at Check Your Head Podcast. And the Check Your Head Podcast is sponsored by a 501c3 nonprofit, so all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.